out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow is underway on this Thursday edition. Glad you're with us here on the Outkick Network, which includes the YouTube channel you may be watching live. We'll hope you'll hit subscribe. If you visit there, search out Outkick. Hit the subscribe button, pound the thumbs up, and you can join Chad in the chat right there. And if you're listening to this great radio partner, we say thank you very much. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Exciting day. That's right. Thursday. Getting close, close to the end of the week. I know. We're, and, we're, uh, we're almost there. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. We do. We've got a lot Mike. of things I feel very strongly about we're going to be talking about today. Michael McHenry will join us coming up in 20 minutes. Uh, we'll begin with the headlines in just a moment and why we're diving in straight ahead uh, with uh, Major League Baseball. We've got uh, David Nuno, who is the host of Tex-Ags Radio, uh, knower of all things SEC. We'll talk some ball with David later this hour. Plus, Armando Salguero also does that with us. He covers the NFL for Outkick.com. Chad, uh, I know you've finally watched Swamp Kings. That will be your review of episode one. Maybe uh, a bit of a twist of what I would expect from you. Oh, I don't know about expectation. that. Okay. I don't know. I don't want to completely reset expectations okay. based on what we've discussed. But, I mean, I, I, I think that I'll say something about it a little bit different than you would have expected. But uh, I don't want to spoil my my full review uh, again of episode one. I'm gonna try to get through all four of these, but I watched the first one and I I have some strong thoughts on untold Swamp Kings. Ted, you had strong thoughts on the Angels as an organization going down in history for uh, being one Failure. of the uh, worst when it comes to decisions going all in, not making the playoffs, not deciding to trade Otani. And now Otani, who left the game yesterday with arm fatigue, he is uh, now suffering from an elbow tear, and he's done pitching for the rest of the season, for the remainder of the season. It was a doubleheader yesterday. Otani actually requested and really demanded that he was going to stay in for the second game after suffering this injury, and he was the DH. He went one for five from the plate, but remained in on the, the, the doubleheader for the day. Um, this could lead to Tommy John surgery. He's already had that one time in the right elbow, same elbow in, in 2018. And, of course, this does lead to a free agency frenzy for him. And now it could affect the bottom line. Some are saying by upwards of $100 million on the free agent market. And I wonder, does the drop in price, and again, I, there will be an overspend here for him. Does the drop in price put the Angels in the mix more so than not because it's not going to be, if it's accurate, $100 million more than whatever the projection was. Maybe. I mean, I think it probably puts more teams in play for Otani if, if they want to take the chance. It's just sucks, And, and you're also taking a huge chance that, you know, he comes back after a second Tommy John. I know. Is what it would take. I mean, that's what it's going to take based on the severity of it, but it sounds like, any tear to the UCL, you're, you're more than likely going to have to go through Tommy John. First surgery went uh, down in 2018. Mm -hmm. Clearly came back fine from that one. And he's pitched well the last few years. So he could come back after a year off of pitching. He could still hit and be a good right. pitcher again. But you're still taking a risk that that's going to be the case. We've seen plenty of pitchers come back from these and be fine. And we've seen other pitchers that have been injured this way or other ways that have not been the same ever since. This was a story that just sucked for the Angels, and now it sucks for all of us. The Angels are the one who decided to go for it, and then they promptly lost seven straight games, starting with the trade deadline. 
and they're out of the race. And now, of course, that sucks for that team and their fans. But now losing Otani and the ability for us to watch him pitch and now what he's going to lose in free agency, this is just a story that sucks all around at this point. Um, the Angels, I mean, I, I come off a day yesterday where I talk about them as one of the biggest failures in the history of sport. And I agree. It's, it's, it's hard to even say that now based on all of this because it just it, it sucks all around to not have Otani. Well, for baseball fans, for the team, for everyone, and now the, the, the loss in value for him moving forward, not that he's going to be crying poor anytime soon. He's still going to sign right. a huge contract. It was upwards of $600 million is the, uh, the estimate. Um, anyway, if, if some of these other owners have anything to do with it, who knows where the, the bidding goes. It's the most anticipated free agent frenzy that we've ever seen. Uh, if you want to compare it to what we saw from Brady, what we saw from LeBron, this is more based on the ownerships that will be placing bids and still will still will um and just to add insult to injury literally and figuratively uh mike trout in his first game back after what seven weeks with the wrist problem uh just tried to swing the bat during the game and just simply said it did not go well it did not feel well so he's back on the injured list the hope is in the same presser where they're discussing otani they're discussing Trout, and they're saying the hope is he will return at some point this season. But at this point, how do you feel if you're the front office after making the moves? And then after you made the moves, you lose seven straight. And now you end up with the two guys that you were buying in and trying to win with for the first time, trying to go to the postseason with this, with this duo. And now they are on the injury list. And from the pitching perspective, we're not going to see Otani for the rest of the year. It's as it if sucks. Mike Trout just sort of poked his head out of the clubhouse, decided to put the uniform on and go out and play and look around and say, I don't like it here. I'd like to go home now. And then said, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and check out again. Uh, the swing doesn't feel right. And uh, checked out. They were a game and a half out of the last playoff spot, the wild card spot at, at the trade deadline. Three games. Was it three games, three games. at that point? Yep. So three games out. And they decide to stick with their team and even add guys. And the thought was, we've got Otani. We're going to add a couple of pieces. We're right there. Let's actually go for it. Mike Trout's coming back. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go we on are. a win streak here. We're going to win more than we lose at least. Yeah. Stay right there in the thick of it for the wild card. Trout's going to come back, give us a boost. We're going to get into the postseason. We can go on a run with these guys. And now you are down Otani. And the day Mike Trout tries to come back, swing doesn't feel right, and he's out also. Terrible news all around for the Angels. Uh, a little pick-me-up for the New York Yankees. After Brian Cashman uh, discussed with reporters prior to the game of just a complete disaster of a season, you have Aaron Judge go out and hit his first three-run homer in his career. I never would have guessed that. Uh, you've got the... Uh, then you have the... Uh, uh, the deal with the Yankees winning 9-1. They survived the 10-game the skid, and that would have been for the first time since 1913. So at least for one night in the Bronx, Chad, um, Judge is smiling. All rise. All rise, indeed. Still a disaster. Total disaster. There, oftentimes, I think disaster is an overused descriptor of what's going on. Uh, Brian Cashman was spot on when he used that word to describe this oh. this Yankee oh, and he, season. And he was spot on when he said, 
No, it's not just Aaron Boone. We are both going to be evaluated for this disaster. Yeah. Like it, we, we, there will be a I like that Jesus accountability. Moment. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to, right? Because at, how many years now is this in a row where Cashman's been that guy that's been discussed and he's always survived? Well, Kurt Schilling came on with us and said it's the players' fault. You know, the players sure. should feel bad because they're the ones who's going to lose Aaron Boone's job for him uh, with how poorly they play. They just haven't lived up to what they should be. They have not lived up to their own standard. They have not lived up to their own talent level. They certainly haven't lived up to their pay level, their salary structure. The same can be said for the crosstown New York Mets this season. It's been a disastrous season of baseball for both New York teams and one night over the Washington Nationals because Aaron Judd hits three home runs certainly is not going to do anything. All it does is you see a superstar single-handedly end a long losing streak for a team because Mashing he has three home runs. Three homers. And um, by the way, Chad, uh, the celebration was far better for the Washington Commanders' preseason victory more than the Yankees ending the skid. Well, it was more important because, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be totally honest At least this here. one counted. The, the Yankees, well, <laughs> I mean, it counts in that they ended the losing streak, but they're not going anywhere uh, this season. So it's, it's all but over for them. The Washington Commanders, meanwhile, Hutton, on the horizon are just Maybe. great things Maybe. with Sam Howell. This is going to either be seen as a punchline for the time the Commanders <laughs> overly celebrated a preseason win, or it's going to be seen in the untold Washington Commanders story years from now when it's a five-part Miniseries documentary, they're going to go back and say, This Untold right here was Josh the start. Harris ownership group. When this uh, swolled up kicker with <laughs> tattoos, I don't even know his name, kicked it through the uprights to beat the Ravens. I think it was something like that. To beat the Ravens, this was the start of greatness of the Washington Commanders or, dynasty. Or that loss sent the Ravens into a skid that they never. Climbed out of. Could be part of the untold Ravens story. Their 24-game losing streak. The beginning the of the end. Yeah, that's right. Beginning of the end is when they could not secure that winning streak in the preseason. If Jonathan Taylor wants the nightmare to end in Indianapolis, the Colts have given him a deadline. And it's not by coincidence that the deadline is August 29th because August 29th is the deadline for roster cuts in the NFL. you got to go from 91 down to 53. And it's important in regards to Taylor – because if he wants to seek a trade and they've granted him permission, well, he's on the physically unable to perform list. And the Colts, if he's going to be on PUP, if he goes into week one, if he goes in into week one past the deadline and doesn't pass the physical with Indy and doesn't have a trade set up that Indy's willing to accept, well, he's mandatory. Uh, he's sent on a, a mandatory list of PUP for the first four weeks of the season. So that slows the whole uh, transition down if you are trying to get the trade done in a timely manner. Uh, on top of that, you need to know whether or not you're going to have Jonathan Taylor in the mix for your roster. Um, deadlines tend to lead to action, but so does the cutdown deadline. And that also is why Trey Lance, who is rumored to be on the trading block, and he has been even since the NFL draft. Um, John Lynch told KNBR earlier today, well, the most likely scenario is he's going to be on the roster as the number three QB when we start the season. But keep in mind that that key part of that quote most likely remains on the roster. That's 
the initial 53 is what he's referring to because the teams that maybe inquired about him during the draft, that reports were Minnesota was one of those. Well, at this point, don't you just wait and see if San Francisco cuts him? And if they cut him, then you don't have to give up literally anything, even if you wanted to pick up the salary for the season uh, on waivers. So again, Chad, I, it's a bad situation there where he's the number three quarterback, but he's not on that roster for very long. He left the facility yesterday um, upset. Lynch handled it much better than Jim Ursay handled it in Indianapolis, where Lynch is on the radio today saying, yeah, uh, he handled it like a true pro. Of course, it was a punch in the gut whenever Shanahan informed him that Darnold was going to be the number two quarterback going in. But Shanahan also said the expectation is that Trey Lance will play tomorrow. Trey Lance will play in the final preseason game. They plan to give the starting reps to Darnold, and then the expectation is Trey Lance is going to be in the game prior to handing things over to, uh, to, to Allen. Uh, whether or not we see that, we'll find out. But they're playing this, uh, I think, in an honest manner. They're not lying when they say most likely he's on the roster. But that doesn't mean for very long. Uh, that means the initial 53 when they make the cuts on Tuesday. Well, in the reports, you know, they shopped him all offseason and there was no great offer. Well, of course not. Because if you're by, by making, taking the steps to shop him, what you're announcing is we greatly overvalued his potential. Yeah. When we traded up to draft him, he's not what we thought. And now we've got Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold, who we value more than this guy. Now, what will you give us in return for him? And it goes back to the reason you just said the, the odds are he's probably going to get cut at this point. So that why would you want to give anything up if you're another team that might, may even have the slightest interest in Trey Lance as a backup at this point in time? You're not going to give much up for that. With Jonathan Taylor... I don't know what NFLanalysis.net is exactly, but they have the report through a source that the Eagles are the most aggressive in trade talks uh, for Jonathan Taylor. Well, the Miami Herald has also reported that the Dolphins are in on the mix for, for Taylor as well. Armando will have the very latest there for sure. Yeah, but I mean, boy, that's a cheat code for the Eagles yeah. if they pull that off. Um, that that's one that immediately caught my eye. And I thought, man, the the NFC champs get a lot better because Jonathan Taylor's still really good. Oh, he's, he's I mean, twenty four years old, and he's a, in his prime. a year ago he averaged five and a half yards per carry. Yeah, I mean that. Yes, in that offense, look yeah. out. But value wise, like what what type of contract is going to get it done and return for Indianapolis instead of just holding on and calling his bluff and keeping on pup? That, that's another part of this wrinkle is there is a little bit of leverage on behalf of the Colts because if they don't trade him, he sits out for a month anyway on PUP. And then you can finally trade him down the line, which, again, it doesn't really help Taylor either to go out and have a 2,000-yard season. It's not like he's going to get paid more. He's just going to get tagged again or tagged for the first time on what's the final year of his contract. Chad, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, there was a terrible first-round pick in Trey Lance for the San Francisco 49ers. The Cardinals have traded their former first-round pick from 2020, Isaiah Simmons, who was like, he came into the league, he was listed as a safety slash linebacker slash any position you wanted, rover, um, never lived up to anything close to expectation or height. They just wanted production, and they didn't see production from Isaiah Simmons. He's traded to the Giants for a seventh-round pick where... 
uh, instead of potential, now they just hope for a little production on the back end of a roster if you're the, uh, the G-men. But Arizona's selling. They sell Isaiah Simmons. They've also traded away Josh Jones, uh, an offensive tackle that started 11 games for the franchise last season. Will Isaiah Simmons have his Cordero Patterson moment? Another guy who was positionless, who did some good things, but had to be moved around all the time until Atlanta got a hold of him and said, oh, he's a running back. And he's done pretty well as a running back only. Isaiah Simmons, someone's got to find a position for him. Maybe the Giants know exactly Martindale may be what he do, is and what done. he's going to do. That's the hope. What's next for Otani? And what's next for the Baltimore Orioles when their owner can't even let them win? What's next? Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Michael McHenry joins us. Plenty to discuss across Major League Baseball. Things heating up for the playoff race. Not so much for the Angels. The Fort joins us. Michael, how are you, man? I'm kind of sad. Yeah. You know, you think about two of the greatest players of all time, you know, being together for so long and it never just comes together. There was always some, whether it was an outside factor or an inside factor, it just did never come together. You you would think, you know, putting a Scotty and Jordan together in baseball would work. It just didn't. Yeah, and you, you say sad. I say it's a bummer, but I was bummed that they had the seven-game losing skid after the trade deadline. You know, they bought in, and the results were that this was what's going to happen anyway, and now we don't even get to see the guy you know, go for what was an amazing finish to an amazing season. And on top of that, with Tommy John potentially on the way for a second time for him, what does this do in terms of the free agent frenzy that is expected for him that will still be there, but what does it affect in terms of the type of dollars that were reported compared to what may be out there now? I, I still think there's going to be a huge bidding war and there's going to be more money thrown around at him than ever before. He's still young enough to recover from it. Um, that maybe it's just a weird complication. It's a, you know, partial tear, not a full tear. Maybe they do some alternative therapies. There's a lot of good things happening when it comes to, you know, Tommy John and how fast you can get back. Uh, we just had a guy, uh, Vince Velasquez, they're reporting that he's probably going to return in a year where, you know, you're used to 14, 15, 16 months. So, you still have a great hitter. He may opt to, you know, try to fix it naturally, still be a hitter. So he's still a $40 million player. When you look at him as just a hitter, he's an $80 million player, possibly if you look at him as both. So he's not superhuman in two ways now, just one. So he's still a really, really good player. Michael McHenry uh, joins us in a former major league catcher. I want to get your opinion on this because that, he the last doubleheader I recall was the day that they announced they weren't planning on trading him, and he had he threw like a two hitter complete game or something, and then he turned around the doubleheader and and DH'd and hit like what two homers or something in that on that doubleheader. He still hit DH yesterday too. He demanded to stay in the lineup. Uh, you've seen the pure exhaustion of a, a pitcher going through a, a, a complete game performance. To know that Otani's doing it and then turning around and, and playing uh, the, the, the same day and then performing at the plate the way he has. And then after getting hurt, demanding that he still is the DH, even though he went one for five, it still speaks to 
the player and the fact that he's not tapping out. You're exactly right. And guys, I, I don't think we're talking about it enough across the league that Tommy John injury this year is up 44, 45%. You know, they predicted this with the pitch clock and everything else that these guys had not mm. been training for this. They're not ready for this. And also like, there's a lot more at stake at the big league level. So yeah, they're doing it in the minor leagues. That's always the argument they should be used to when they get up here. But the reality of it is, is when you get up here, they don't treat the guys like they're minor leaguers. They have to warm up three days in a row and not pitch and then pitch on that fourth day. They would never do that in the minor leagues. They protect those guys. They put them in this little shell or bubble and don't allow them to do things that they're going to do in the big leagues. So that's one. And then two, that speaks to his character. I mean, you can just go around and look at some of the pictures online at Otani, see the joy he has playing the game. He wants to be out there. And it something to be looked at is when he had that blister, he was pitching against the Pirates, and he just was not the same. And when you have some ele element that's maybe making you do th things differently, that's when you put more pressure on that UCL or your labrum or your rotator cuff. It's exactly why... I, Tyler Matzik ended up having Tommy John because he was pitching hurt and you try to do some things different. Your body's not moving right. And you put all that pressure or stress on that elbow. And that's probably what happened. That's all fixable. He can learn from it, grow from it, but knowing he wanted to be out on the field, I bet he's been playing through a lot, you know, throughout the year, trying to chase winning a playoff game. And Trout's been trying to get back into the lineup. He does help me with this though. So he's got the wrist issue. He comes back and then the attempts to swing during the game didn't go well. Did it go well in you know in the cage prior to the game? Like how does that happen? And it, it I guess it felt fine to a point, and then it didn't. It, it was a really aggressive approach. I mean, when it when it comes to the handmate, guys usually come back and they don't have any pop. They don't have the bat speed that they thought they should have. So I'm sure he's trying to come back and and be Mike Trout. He's not gonna be probably right at first and you know taking that swing that fear in a game is still there you know because the last swing he took in a game he fouled it off and he you know broke his handmate so I mean that that's got to be something that that leaves the subconscious first and then maybe that you know good swing comes back the power comes back but you've got to think about all these elements that certain guys have had you know when they have that handmate problem it's 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 a little bit of a mess he may have to do some things in the offseason and change the knob he uses, change the thickness of his handle just to try to combat that feeling. Michael, have you had a chance to watch any of the Little League World Series at all since it's been happening? Absolutely. Did you see that little kid squat really low for yeah. Mexico? Yeah. Trying to uh, – outstanding. Outstanding. I mean, the personalities I, are outstanding. And it was still a streak. Uh, it still uh, a <laughs> It was. Yeah. And it's like the major league. So. <laughs> well, I asked because um, I, I'm blown away with the coaching – at this level, and how good these guys are. Last night's a great example. I'm watching the team from Nolensville, Tennessee, play California, and they run a play with two outs, runners on first and third, where the kid at first takes off for second and deliberately acts like he trips and falls to bait the catcher to throwing oh. to first, and the guy, as he falls, is getting back up, their fastest runner, and taking off to second knowing if the throw comes, and then right as the throw is made, of course the guy from third is running home, and he slides in safe on a baited throw play. Uh, the guys are shortening their swing, and you could all the, the managers are mic'd up, so he's telling them, don't swing so hard, shorten it up. Don't we want to score this run from third? You just need to hit the ball to the right side of the infield. The kid does it after that. I, I, I say that, Michael, to say, man, the game's in good hands. 
I know you know a lot of the guys with the USA Baseball that are coaching, but I, I'm blown away by the acumen of the coaches at this level and what the kids are able to pull off. And, I mean, you can't explain how bad travel ball is at times and how pure Little League, and they have the Pony League here in Pennsylvania, you have the Cal Ripken World Series. When you're playing for something, especially when you're playing for your hometown or your actual country, it means a lot more. And I think that for these kids, when they go to practice, they look at ways that they could win, how they could maybe come together as a team. It's completely different than being a showcase pony, going to this tournament and that tournament, chasing X velocity, trying to run a better 10, 20, or 60-yard dash, whatever it is, and then bragging about it when you're not playing. You're not playing with the team, and that ultimately is all that matters. How do you play when the lights come on in front of – your friends, your family, and your teammates around them. Are you a guy that's going to stand with them or just try to stand apart? And in this Little League World Series, from coaches down, it always starts at the top. It's a servant leadership mentality. These guys do a great job. They pour into them because it means something. I think that's something we need to remember because it's so pure. We saw it in the World Baseball Classic. Speaking to Otani, how cool that was and the energy. That was that little kid coming out and all those excellent, excellent players. You just hope they don't lose it as they go forward. So sticking in your state for baseball, the Phillies versay Tennessee's my state, Chad. That's good. Sorry, sorry. Well, your current state, right? Okay. Or, yeah, okay. With, okay. with Pittsburgh. Okay. So the Phillies versus the Braves. And the approach, uh, which is, you know, they they've earned this approach right now. What I mean by that is the Phillies haven't been that good a lot of the year. They're coming alive now, but they're still fighting to ensure that they're gonna have a wild card spot, which they probably will. The Braves have been coasting for a while because their record is so good, and they're probably going to run away with the division. But as you get down to the dog days of August into September, and you haven't had a lot of high leverage at-bats or games if you're the Braves versus the Phillies, who are going to be conditioned to have more pressure moments going into the postseason, does that possibly line up for a run that we saw from the Phillies last year as opposed to the Braves where the Phillies beat them in the playoff series? No question. Absolutely no question. You you have to be on your toes if you're the Braves and understand that the Phillies did something really special last year. And I'm going to go back to when Trey Turner got a standing ovation, walking to the plate, hitting 230. Since that moment, he's hitting 380. He's hitting homers. He's still in bases. He's playing excellent defense. Bryce Harper's power's going up. So if you're a Brave, and I know a bunch of those guys that were just here, that entire coaching staff, I love to pieces. A lot of really good friends over there. They have their eye on the ball. But if they let it slip, the Phillies have their hair on fire. So you got to be really, really careful that you don't fall complacent, even talk about how good you are. You just focus on the goal, try to win another World Series because you are the team to beat. And when you're that team, everyone's coming out to get you, and you have everything to lose when no one else does. Michael McHenry, our guest here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow on the Outkick Network. You had the Orioles in the World Series. Do you still have the Baltimore Orioles in the World Series, given the fact that uh, John Angelos is already admitting that uh, despite our success right now, uh, we're not going to be able to keep these guys. We're going to be sellers uh, soon if we don't drastically raise prices. What do you make of ownership not being able to keep their mouth shut and just let the locker room and the clubhouse win? I'll tell you what, Hud. He, doesn't have, he better have the best two-strike approach on the planet. First with the broadcaster, now saying that. You don't say things like that. Even if you really mean that because you're a businessman, you don't see the writing on the wall that you have a great group of humans together that are playing phenomenal. You just can't do that. 
And if you want to sign them, sign them now. Give them more money than they deserve now so maybe they want to stay around with all their buddies. I mean, there's a lot of people that will take less money for a great circumstance in this game or more time. If you sign the right human beings, you're going to have a winning team for a long time. I'm pretty sure we just talked about the team that's doing that yep. flawlessly right now in Atlanta. Almost every guy they've signed, they've signed for undervalue because they bet on that guy. Tyler Matzik, one of my really good friends, signed a two-year deal right after he had Tommy John. How do you think that made him feel, a guy that's had the yips and felt like he was nothing to people before? It made him feel like he was invincible. You mean you're going to give me $5 million to rehab? you kidding me? Sure, let's go. And he's going to fight and fight to get into the playoffs and pitch. That's the guys you want to have on your team. They have a lot of those guys. They better hold on to them. I know it's a Hollywood script, but can the major league approach work for the Baltimore Orioles? Because in that movie, they banded against their owner and Rachel Phelps, who was doing everything against them. Is there a world where if you're a Baltimore Oriole right now, you're internally in that clubhouse saying, screw this guy. Let's go prove everyone wrong and just win the World Series this year and let the future be the future and not worry about it. Can it be a rallying cry even though it's your boss that's the problem? Absolutely. Absolutely. In, in short spurts, absolutely. I mean, obviously, they have all the control. They can move pieces of the puzzle. But when you think about year to year, there's no question. You can fight against the coaching staff. You can fight against the front office. It's been done. I've been a part of teams that it's been done on, and we've taken a huge left and just ran. And it was because there was a disconnect. And that disconnect can either make you fumble and crumble or it can make you rise and do something that's really special but you have to have people that are willing to you know come together have that one heartbeat and take a step forward against maybe something that's really uncomfortable and could backfire so I think yes and I think they will you mentioned the standing ovation in Philly is that all the Yankees would have needed with their lineup just a standing ovation as they went to the play no no it's New York <laughs> completely different completely different yeah I mean they're so hard I mean you know, if if you do something wrong one week and then the next week you're great, it's just top of the mountain, fall, top of the mountain, fall. I mean, it, it's kind of remarkable. I think if they would just, you know, take a little playbook from Philly, I think it would have really, really helped them. Because I've seen a lot of guys leave there and never want to go back. Guys that have no intention to sign there, even with way more money, because it is a very tough place to play either the Yankees or the Mets. It's a tough place. How bad is Angel Hernandez at his job? <laughs> uh well grading wise he's one of the worst so I, I, I don't even have to speculate he's a nice guy but you know he's no angel when he calls balls and strikes that's for sure so he's a guy that's really well it just seems like there's always something there's always something a lot very visible that's yeah. awful that everyone's talking about with him I don't know if we're picking on him because the lawsuit and everything but there, he always seems to be in the middle of something yeah and that's that's probably the biggest issue I mean I, I think if you're an umpire, you'd never want to be seen. You want to be like an offensive lineman where the quarterback's taking it to dinner and buying you nice things, but nobody knows you exist. You had a great 12-year career. You go home, you buy a beach house, and it's great. That's what those guys should focus on. Instead, a lot of times they want to bring themselves into the game and say, hey, I'm here. It's my game. You beat it, nerd. You beat it, nerd. It's my ball and strike, period, or it's my out and safe call. And it's it's not the way it should be. Um, I, I believe they they have great intentions. They have the hardest job on the planet, but they should definitely try to be completely transparent or translucent where they can't be seen. Michael McHenry, always great to chat with the fort. Michael McHenry here on uh, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Um, 
Great to have you on, man. Appreciate the short notice visit and uh, always enjoy your perspective as usual. Hey, anytime, guys. Love coming on with you. You guys are the best. Keep it up. Thanks for it. You're the you. man. There he is. Michael McHenry. The Rachel Phelps approach. How dare you say he's in a state other than Tennessee. Uh, sorry about that. His state. His state is Tennessee. His, his uh, adopted state, yeah. I should have said. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, Chad, we head down to Texas, from Tennessee to Texas. David Nuno joins us, host of Texas Radio. A lot to discuss in College Station and across the SEC. The top headlines there are next. What throw are you feeling a little thirsty? Sixth and Peabody, Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. Tis the season to feel thirsty because <laughs> the need to be hydrated is fierce right now Feels like because of this heat 108 and degrees. It is uh, very warm. Uh, got in my vehicle yesterday, hot in 109 degrees was mm. the reading after I started the engine up. So it's a little bit warm. Yeah, I'm sure it's hot in Texas as well. Oh, yeah. Always uh, plenty of football discussion in College Station. David Nuno does that each and every day, Texags Radio. Uh, tremendous job there uh, and the site, texags.com. David, appreciate the time, man, and uh, hope things are well. Hey, I, guys, I think you have it pretty easy. I got in my car the other day. It was 114 degrees. Chad so, Hoof. I mean, the 109. Yeah, I'm just saying. And, by the way, it's weird being on the show that I use as show prep. So, thanks for having <laughs> me on, gentlemen. Uh, absolutely, yeah. No, so uh, I would Thank say you, normally when someone says, oh, it's 114 that's usually someone like in the desert, you know, out west, right. and it's different. But I can't even say, well, what about the humidity to, to David? Because yeah. the humidity's worse there than maybe here even. I, so I that's, have, that's really bad. I have maintained this. I've got so, nothing on them with the yeah, heat there. You watch the weather, and it's, you know, 98 degrees, but the feels like temperature's 108. I say the temperature's 108 if it feels like it's 108. What do you think? 100%. Uh, I went to the Aggie soccer game the other day. I was doing a little color commentating. It was 114 degrees on the field. And I felt every bit of that, no doubt. I don't care what it feels like. I mean, it was atrocious. I haven't sweat that much through a shirt in a long time. If, if It's very simple. If you just combine like the, the air pressure, the humidity, oh. and the temperature, you come yeah. up with a feels like. And then that becomes a new standard I in America. I think that should be the standard. We reading. do everything else different in America. When it comes to the metric system and everything else, why not make the temperature the feels like temperature also? Uh, it, to me, it's common sense. What does it feel like? Oh, then that's the town. I feel like we're in an episode of Seinfeld hey. right now, too. Guys, let me go on a little rant that I did on the show the other day, but I just wanted your opinion on this. Okay. I did local, local news before I got the tech sags, and I remember them telling us, well, local sports, you know, people can get it on their phones. They don't really need it like they used to. You get freaking weather on your phone, too, and that leads every newscast. I think us sports guys need a little bit more top billing. That's a great point. I mean, you can get everything on your phone now. That could be the argument against anything. You know, why, why, why televise sports, even? Why watch it live? I mean, get on my phone also. You can make that argument about everything. It's a good point. Hey, top billing uh, was Texas A&M a year ago. What's the buzz like this year for the Aggies? Show me. Um, and and Billy, Billy Lucci, our, our co-owner and executive editor and good friend, he, he gives me a hard time for saying it out loud a lot because I do say it. I, I want you guys to show me everything that we think about this team. I, ha I have a lot of reasons for optimism. I understand the reasons for pessimism and, and the questions out there. I get it. Uh, I'm at a point with this team is I, I believe they have the right quarterback for the future, even though he hasn't been named yet. I believe that they have 
the the right pieces in in place. I think they have a, a really good coaching staff, guys. Regardless of what people think of Jimbo, throughout his career, he's had an excellent career. Really, only two bad seasons that entire time. There was an ascension for a little bit, and then the drop off uh, in 2021 when Haynes King went down early, and then the super cliff drop off last year. Uh, I, I have questions, but I, I want them to prove it to me, and I think fans feel that same way. But there is optimism too, because for some reason, this program, when they fly under the radar, and they're not under the radar with headlines, but nobody really thinks that they're going to compete uh, top billing in the West. Let's say that's when they do their best, and uh, I think why not this year? Because there are questions all around the West, really questions outside of Georgia, and even Georgia's got some questions just because we haven't seen Carson Beck do it at this level yet. What has the dynamic been like? between Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino? Well, a lot of people made uh, so much about the, uh, the SEC media days, the way Jimbo initially answered those questions, and he opened himself up for that. I, I get that totally. But in my opinion, Jimbo answers questions the way he thinks, right? Like, it's always been a collaboration between me and the coaches. We always go back and forth. He, would, he doesn't hire Bobby Petrino, a guy with that many skins on the wall, a guy who is such an offensive genius without – thinking this guy can lead my offense. Uh, I used this comparison before. And it, may, it may not be good to you guys, but you guys do your own show prep, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But there's certain things about the show that I let others do because like, they can get it done and I can focus on the content. But when I don't trust that guy, it's all me, 100% me. And I kind of feel that way with Jimbo and the offense. I believe he does trust Bobby. And if you listen to Bobby Petrino's offense, I mean, uh, his press conference, he said all the right things. We'll see how he answers those questions in October when they've had some you know, adversity because they will face adversity at some point. But right now he's saying he's the boss. I'm coaching offense. Let's go. And uh, it appears when you go to practices, they get along. Bobby's in complete control of that offense. And then Jimbo's being Jimbo. How is A&M's recruiting infrastructure now? They, they had that all-time great class, and there was a lot of attrition with that class. They had the NIL collective that was collaborating with the school that they had to, had to disband because of the possibility of the nonprofit status going away, David. So now that all that's happened, do you feel like there's been a course correction in how A&M is going about it? Still obviously a place that can get top players. Well, look at Jimbo as a recruiter his whole career. I mean, he, he's known for top 10 classes. Uh, he's known for top three classes. We always bring up that 22 class because of it just being such an amazing class. But uh, the, the stat is, if you just look at the Houston class alone that he that he recruited, that would have been a top 12 class in the country. So how are they recruiting? It all comes down to winning, in my opinion. Uh, they have the facilities. They have the infrastructure. They have the fan support. Uh, A&M is a destination place for Texas high school football athletes to come to and around the country. I mean, you look at how he's done in New Jersey and Philadelphia and California, uh, now Seattle, Washington. Uh, he's done a wonderful job in those areas. To me, it all boils down to can they win some games? Last year, they didn't win, so they didn't have a top 10 recruiting class. But other than that, Jimbo's been routinely three, five, seven, and he even had that one. Uh, they're still looking for a recruiting director, but a lot of the pieces were in place already, uh, and they have some momentum, guys. Like, look, there's other schools, too, that have not been as successful. Let's not forget the University of Texas and Texas A&M have the same record combined the last couple of years. Um, and, and Texas does really well recruiting. They've got a brand. I get all that. Uh, but it comes down to, to the winning, the facilities, and belief. And I think they were able to sell belief after last year with the hiring of, of, of Bobby Petrino and obviously the pieces in place. Because if you look at the guys that left, they really weren't starters. And a lot of the guys that left are no longer where they started. 
TexAgs.com, the website. You can check out TexAgs Radio uh, streaming daily on YouTube. Uh, David Nuno is the host. Are you more confident in what you know about LSU or Alabama right now? I am more confident in... Ooh, I think I'm more confident in LSU. I am not confident about their secondary, uh, and that could be a really big problem. I think the whole thing with Bama is I expect... I mean... Bama's bad years, ten and two, right? Like, right. I, I could only wish year. for that, right? <laughs> yeah. So I could only wish for that kind of good year as opposed to a bad year. Right. So, uh, but there are legit questions about the quarterback spot. I mean, Jalen Milrow, we saw him firsthand. He, he did beat Texas A and M. He struggled in that game. He is not Bryce Young. We look at Alabama last year and how many games came down to the last play. How many games came down to the last couple of minutes? Uh, so he's not there. Will Anderson's not there. They've got a bunch of other five stars. Those guys usually set them up for great success. But I am curious about the quarterback spot. How can you not be? How do you bring in Tyler Buckner, who's not going to be the starter, in my opinion, you know, right after spring ball and not say you have some questions? So I, I think I have less questions about LSU because of the structure that they have, building on the momentum that they had last year. But you have to have some questions on the defensive side because, yeah, Mason Smith is going to be back, it looks like, other than that first game. But the secondary's got some questions. Denver Harris, who was at A&M, goes over there. Uh, not only does he get into a little bit of trouble, but he he wasn't even weeks before that wasn't starting. He was second or third team at that time as well. So I, I do have questions about LSU. I have questions about a lot of teams in, in the SEC. But I think the bigger question is about Bama just because of their quarterback. But regardless, I still expect them to be one or two. Are we sleeping on Arkansas a little bit? Just Just given K.J. Jefferson at quarterback, Rocket Sanders at running back, as good a duo at those two positions that you're going to find in the country, are we sleeping in, on Arkansas a bit, or are they right where they should be preseason? I think they are right where they should be uh, because I think Rocket and KJ are such X factors that they should. But A and M has beat them ten out of eleven years, um, and they got a new offensive line. They got some questions on their defense as well. Would I be surprised if Arkansas is in the mix for that third spot? No, I wouldn't be surprised at all because you've got such a dynamic quarterback. But uh, I, I still think they need to prove it to me. You know, with AM having all the issues that they had last year, that was a game that Arkansas had a chance to knock out, and uh, KJ had that fumble, and, you know, the rest of that play got AM back into it. Tyreek Chappelle picks it up, and then uh, Damani Richardson scores the touchdown, puts AM back in the game. They're able to survive and win after a, uh, Arkansas missed field goal. Look, I think they're really good. I think everybody in the SEC West has these questions, guys. Like, like when you look at Auburn – they should be better because all these transfers that they come in that they came in, you've got Hugh Freeze and what he can do in year one. But look at Mississippi State. We they bring back a lot of production. People forget about Will Rogers being as good as he is, but Mike Leach is no longer there. So there's like, is the offense going to be good enough? He's going to be under center a lot more. So I understand the questions, but Arkansas to me is in that tier right with AM. I, I put AM slightly above because of the talent. Uh, but you can't argue with the the production that Sam Pittman's been able to do there. Surprise team for you in the SEC? Surprise team in the SEC. Um, I think Kentucky is going to finish second in the East. Chad mentioned them a couple of weeks ago, too, as, a, as someone that they're a lot like A&M. We're not talking about them like we were last year, for instance. Well, I mean, they get Ray Davis, who rushed for over 100 yards against them, rushed for over 1,000 yards at Vanderbilt. Devin Leary, you know, yeah. if he doesn't get hurt, who knows if he's in the NFL right now? And we know what kind of – uh, production he had a couple of years ago. They've got a very young and awesome wide receiver group. They always have a solid, solid defense. The big question with Kentucky is, can that offensive line hold up? They were atrocious last year. Offensively, 
they were worse than AM was scoring the scoring the touchdown. So Liam Cohen's back. I think there's a, a level of optimism that he brings because he's done it there before and at a very high level. I think Kentucky is one of those teams that is definitely that we should keep our eye on. And I don't know if you have a follow-up, but I'm actually more concerned about South Carolina than mm-hmm. others because I look at their schedule and I'm like, buddy, at the end of September, yeah. they may have two or three losses. So and, and I love Shane Beamer. And I think they are I building they, they could have a they could be a better team than they were last year with a worse record, if that makes any sense. Uh, I think they're going to be good, but I'm not ready to put them at number two just yet. Well, and they got uh, they had some big losses off that team in the transfer portal mm-hmm. also. To me, David, with them, and I, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this, it all comes down to Spencer Rattler. Is he the quarterback that lit up Tennessee, or is he the quarterback that couldn't throw straight against Missouri a year ago? Because we saw a little bit of both throughout the season. Well, I think with him, his, his entire career has been that way, right? Like you look at his freshman year at Oklahoma and how moments of brilliance and then not so good his sophomore year, Caleb Williams takes over. We know how that kind of went. Even last year, uh, I use A&M as a frame of reference. They got up on A&M 17 to zero. You would think they would be able to step on Aggie's throats. They weren't able to do that. That game, uh, A&M had a chance to win on the final possession. That's when uh, Connor Wigman came in and, and tried to give them a little spark, but it was a little too little too late. Um, but overall, I 100% agree with you. Is Spencer Rattler can be consistent? All the reports are he looks really good this this fall. But um, let's be honest. Doesn't everybody say that at this point? Yeah, especially when you're driving a $150,000 car uh, that, that he's rolling in on uh, at, at Willie B uh, at the stadium. Hey, final no thing for you. You mentioned that no starter name yet. Wegman's going to be the guy. What would it take to see Max Johnson? Uh, you're saying mid-season or you're saying for no, week just, one? It, it, Early. It have, do they know that he's the guy? Wegman's the guy. They just haven't said it yet? Or is it like, uh, we may throw in Max Johnson here or there? My opinion is Max Johnson has made this a battle, right? And, and Billy Lucci has reported this several times. Max Johnson has been so good that he has made it a battle. But the upside with Connor Wigman, um, the intangibles, the moxie that he has, I believe he will be named the starter, if not in the next 24 to 48 hours on the Monday press conference. Uh, there is, there's, he commands the huddle. He's got the wheels. He can improvise. He's got a beautiful touch. He and Evan Stewart have linked up so many times this, uh, this summer, and it's just a beautiful connection that they have. He's got it with Moose Muhammad as well. I think it's going to be Connor. And, and, and that's not a shot at, at Max. I think Max could come in and you could win a lot of games with Max Johnson. He beat A&M a couple of years ago at LSU. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of respect for Max. But the upside and in and, and this world where, you know, young players are playing a lot more and you've got to keep them happy. He's got enough on the I mean, he threw eight touchdowns last year, no interceptions and really was and, and gave them their biggest victory since the Alabama game the year prior against LSU, where they put it all together. I'm, it's got to be Connor Wigman. I'm excited to watch him play. No, no, you're the man. Uh, appreciate everything uh, and having us on the show. Thanks for joining us today. Hope we can do it again soon. Hey, guys, huge fan of the show. You guys know how much respect I have for you. I loved hanging out with you in Nashville a couple weeks back. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Let's do it again. Texax.com. They get it done. Coming up, Heisman winner, Going for two, maybe three. Details next.